This week's episode of Hotter Than Health is brought to you by my absolute favorite show sponsor, Organifi. Organifi just came out with an incredible new supplement. If you are someone that has struggled with sore muscles after workouts on an extreme level, if you are someone who has struggled with digestion, or if you are just someone who has really been confused and unsure of why you are so fatigued all the time, maybe asthma, high blood pressure, so many broad issues that we have struggled with in our day-to-day life could be a cause of magnesium deficiency. Now, Organifi has created a brand new supplement of magnesium glycinate. So a daily dose of high absorption magnesium. It's an easy to take capsule. And what this is, is also gentle on the digestion, strong on support for your body and your mind. So this can absolutely support strong bones, healthy muscle. It can promote nerve health and communication and also help help boost natural natural cellular energy. I am so excited because I have been looking for a new magnesium supplement and this is what I love about this supplement. The magnesium glycinate that Organifi has is less harsh on your stomach. A lot of the times we hear about magnesium supplements, but it makes our stomach upset. We're rushing to the bathroom and that's beneficial sometimes if you really got to get things going. However, for a daily supplement, I prefer the magnesium glycinate as it is high absorption and it's easier on the stomach. I love this product. I have been taking it for about a month now and my muscles have not been as sore. I have noticed a great improvement in my sleep and just a moderate overall feeling of wellness and overall natural energy. If you have been interested in trying a magnesium essential supplement, this is one I would absolutely check out. It is by Organifi. You can go to Organifi.com backslash H-T-H. Again, that's Organifi.com backslash H-T-H. And you can get 20% off. You can check out my page on Organifi's website to see what are my favorite supplements. You can check out the reviews and check out all of the product details. But this is the essential magnesium. A daily dose, high absorption magnesium. Great for your body, your mental health, your mind bones, and healthy muscles. That's Organifi.com backslash H-T-H for 20% off. You will not regret it. basically knocking over and creating uh, an explosion and and for me that instance was like you feel this this force hit you so you instantly shut your eyes and it's like being surrounded in a well-lit room it's it's december so it's already dark out even though it's probably six or seven o'clock at night but i can just see this red yellow glow around me and i just started running i did i you know my natural reaction was just to run Welcome back to this week's episode of Hotter Than Health. My name is Eliza Gelman, and if you are someone who has been here from the beginning, you know that we love, we love a good story. We love to feel inspired, motivated, and we like, we love an underdog story, and we want to see people win. The episode today is the absolute epitome of rising from the ashes and making the most out of your life. 
today we have on Connor McKimmy. And Connor is someone that I met almost 10 years ago when we were working at the Ryan Seacrest Studios in Charlotte for an internship. We'll get into that story as you listen to the podcast about (laughs) how I was fired. But anyways, we met a while ago. And when we did, Connor immediately welcomed me with open arms. And he made me feel out of the maybe, maybe six times that I met him, like we were best friends. He is that kind of guy that as soon as he walks into the room, there's a sense of calm, happiness, positivity, charisma. He's someone you want around and he's someone you want on your team. A little bit about Connor and what we are getting into today. I'm not going to give away all of his story because I want that to be something he tells and shares from his perspective, but a little about Connor. As a very young teenager, Connor was a victim of burns. He was burned over 90% of his whole body, and he was given a less than 1% chance to live. Connor completely defied the odds and not only survived, but eventually went on to play Division I college lacrosse at High Point University, which is in North Carolina. Then he graduated, spent four more years at High Point coaching lacrosse. They got five wins, or the top five wins. They got to the NCAA tournament. And now he's taking his life experiences on the road. He is a professional motivational speaker. He is a positive life influence. He is someone that has toured around the entire country, telling his story, motivating, inspired. He is someone that if you watched him speak, you would cry, you would donate, you would get excited. This is someone who motivates, inspires, and comes from such a depth, comes from such a deep well of love, perspective, and openness, open-heartedness towards others. In a situation where he could have absolutely turned, run, ran, (laughs) run, turned and run and fell victim to his circumstances, he didn't. He grabbed life immediately by the horns and has completely transformed not only his own life, but every single person he's impacted. We're going to hear the story of what really happened 10 years ago that completely changed the course of his life, his family's life, and what he's doing now with it. We talk about relationships. We talk about body dysmorphia, dating when you have gone through some a situation like this how to how can you identify with yourself when you have a completely new image a completely new body but the same mind and the same heart and the same integrity and honestly the same swag this guy <laughs> oh my god talk about talk about a swaggy person talk about a swaggy man he presents with such charisma and likability and energy we love Connor McKinney share this episode, give it some love. This is one that I think will touch everybody and absolutely have you on the edge of your seats and captivated. Without further ado, I want to introduce to you Connor McKemmy on the podcast. Make sure you look at the notes on the, in the show notes. You can get information about his new book coming out. We are going to be doing a giveaway. So if you are interested in the story and you want to read a little bit more, he wrote his first book. It is called Life Ignited. And all you have to do is go to my most recent Instagram post with Connor McKimmy on Hotter Than Health podcast and let us know your favorite part 
let us know that you liked it. Leave it, leave a comment. And when you do, we will contact you to send you a copy of Connor's new book. With all that being said, I know you're absolutely going to adore this episode, just like I did when we recorded. And sorry for any ambient noises in the back, but either way, let's get into it with today's episode with the Connor McKinney. Oh, okay. We're live. We're good. Oh, thank goodness. I thought I was going crazy. And I can always tune this down if we need to. I'm just not touching anything. Bless. Now it's getting hot in here. I'm sweating. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> like I wore all white like a ding dong today. Also, if I cuss, it's just because I feel comfortable around you. That's fair. <laughs> Connor McKinney. Welcome to Hotter Than Health. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I think that it's only fair that we start off this conversation with a little context. How do we know each other? <laughs> How did we meet? And what brings you to this chair today? I mean, we go back to <laughs> Seacrest Studios, a uh, little internship program we were doing here in Charlotte uh, as two aspiring communication students and uh, I mean, this was, was in when that was when that was summer of 2014 so about what nine years ago we have been <laughs> in this thing we have been in this thing well you I met you while we were there and we were so to paint the picture for people we were it was in Charlotte North Carolina which brought us back here today and we were working in the children's hospital or interning in the children's hospital mm -hmm. and they had this sick setup downstairs and it was basically closed circuit radio for the kids in the children's hospital and we would be on air and we would be interviewing people and then <laughs> I got pulled aside one day and was told you need to leave <laughs> like you're they told me I was a bad apple <laughs> and because I had gotten a drinking ticket in college so Connor continued on with the program <laughs> connor continued on with the program i can just say that i did it you actually went through with the entire thing fast forward you are now you've published a book your first mm -hmm. ever book my first which, book isn't that exciting <laughs> it is kind of surreal i mean i think when i finally saw it like in person instead of it being on a Word document and seeing PDF pictures of the covers and all of that, but to have the paper in your hand for the first time, it, it really hit me. Yeah, this was something that we've been working on for probably a couple of years. I go all the way back to 2020 when I first started just writing and yeah. had the idea to put down some of these thoughts on paper. And, and uh, you know, fast forward to probably January of 2023, I finally got the first co co cover in my hands. And Crazy. I was like, wow. Crazy. This is real. <laughs> it's real. It's real. And it's also really vulnerable, I can imagine. Because as open as you are with your story, it's there's something different about writing it and knowing that people are going to read this and think, I had no idea. Like, because when you speak things out loud, sometimes it can become so habitual mm -hmm. and you can become so comfortable in what you're saying that it doesn't resonate as much. But when you write it in words, it hits differently. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And I think there's parts of the book and why I wanted to do it was there's just such limited time I have up on a stage or in yeah. a podcast or in any any form. But the book you really get to go into some of the stories you briefly use or briefly talk about and go mm-hmm. to places that you can't on stage and, and I know for me, the process of writing and, and the team that I worked with, like, helped pull things out of me that I didn't know were there. And a lot of times it was therapeutic talking about things that I hadn't really even discussed in, you know, 10 years, 10 plus years. And there's a chapter in there pretty early on in the book that's with both of my parents' perspectives. So oh my God. it's the only part that's not basically me in the book. Uh, and that was one of the hardest days I've had in recent memory, just sitting there on that call with them and, and hearing those words and, and then even just rereading it in person. It's a very powerful part, but still the coolest compliment I get to this day is so many people that are close to me, my friends, my family, colleagues that have known me my whole life. And they'll give you the comment like, wow, we never knew that, or, or I've never even you know, thought about that or just giving those comments where it's like, yeah, look, we put stuff in here that was personal to me, but I know it's going to have an impact and and it's powerful because Mm -hmm. like it's, it's that vulnerability that we all are just trying to kind of experience. And, and, and and I just try to paint this picture of a a kid growing up and with a perspective that's a little bit different than, you know, everybody else and what that kind of helped me do. And, and also to just give thanks to all these people in my life because this wasn't a journey that was just by my myself. You know, I had so many people that that lended a hand and provided guidance, yeah. and, and it, it was uh, it's kind of a thank you to those people as well. Let's go back eleven years ago, almost eleven years ago. You, the most significant. the most significant moment in your life has led to everything you have done thus far and will continue to do for your entire life. For people who don't know you and don't know your story, can you give us your story? What happened in 2010? Uh, yeah, 2000, like, or 2009. 2009. Yeah, so end of, basically the end of, it was December 21st, 2008. Um, was was the date where I was just a typical eighth grader. I was played football, basketball, and lacrosse, and had a lot of friends. Was a popular kid, seemed to have you know life going pretty easy for me. And uh, one thing I, <laughs> I still to this day I would say I'm a hopeless romantic. It's just who <laughs> I am. But uh, you know I was right around that time where you're trying to like impress a girl that you like, and totally. I thought, oh, this like really nice night where we could make some s'mores, sit out by the fire, like, you know, like <laughs> I said, I was romantic, yeah, you, know, <laughs> you know, had, have my, have my Chris Brown and Neo and all that <laughs> stuff going, like, I was ready to go. <laughs> oh my God, we are truly dating ourselves, that is Chris Brown, okay, okay, who is making a comeback, by the way, yeah. um, we're all excited to see it. <laughs> but, you know, it was like, it was like somebody I knew for a long time. We had been friends for a while, and you were trying to make that like gesture to see if there was something more there. And we had been talking about it. Eighth uh, grade already, great communication and relationship. Try, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. I would say my mom did a good job <laughs> raising us, but um, you know, it was like I had this perfect idea in my head, and the only thing I couldn't get 
working that night was the fire. I wanted everything set up before she showed up. So I had my outfit on. I had my hair, like, all combed, ready to go, sleeves rolled up. And uh, as I'm starting this fire, for whatever reason, it just wouldn't light. It was something we had in the backyard. We have this little fire pit that we, you know, all summer, winter, we go out there and, and uh, for, again, for whatever reason, I couldn't get it to light this night. And I'm trying, I'm trying. And the more I tried, there were some big sparks and there was a gas canister that was right next to it, and that ended up, you know, basically knocking over and creating uh, an explosion. And and for me, that instance was like, you feel this this force hit you, so you instantly shut your eyes, and it's like being surrounded in a well lit room. It's it's December, so it's already dark out, even though it's probably six or seven o'clock at night. But I can just see this red yellow glow around me, and I just started running. I did, I you know, my natural reaction was just to run. And before I know it, I get pushed to the ground and I'm padded out. And when I finally open my eyes and can see, you know, I'm laying face down, I can see my arms and my hands and just the skin peeled back and my shirt's gone. And and you just know it's not great, but you have no idea what the extent of it is. You're like the fact that I opened my eyes. Yeah, it's just the fact that I could see. I was like, all right, that's a good start. And I could and I had some feeling I knew it was really cold. I was wrapped in in these you know wet towels is essentially what they they used to put me out and so I, I i had some feeling but again you could see that from just your hands and your arms that something had happened an injury had occurred uh, and it wasn't until i was put in the back of the ambulance that i finally like look at the guys taking care of me and i asked them if i'm going to be okay and at that point it was basically cut to black you know they put an iv in me pump me full of medication and before i know it i wake up basically three months later in a hospital in Augusta, Georgia, uh, where they told me I was burned 90% of my body, 75% being third degree, and that I probably wasn't going to walk again. I probably wasn't going to, you know, play sports. I was missing a few fingers. And, and all you see, I remember waking up in the hospital, all I could see was I looked like a mummy. I was wrapped head to toe in gauze, and I couldn't move. And so, you, you, you know, fortunately, I woke up. I think that was, you know, the, the, the start of it all was that I at least was awake. I was at least alive. Um, but the diagnosis was not great. And you know, you're sitting there at 13 years old, 14 years old, and you're told basically every dream that you ever had, the life that you wanted, like, is gone. And, and um, Your whole identity is changing? Yeah. When you said you said you woke up three months later mm-hmm. you had been were you in the hospital that entire time and uh, were you just out did they put you into yeah a coma so, so yeah so I was in like a medically induced coma so that they could you know one I wouldn't have to, burn injuries are severely painful because it's the regrowing of of your skin which is our biggest organ right well you think about it i mean you you burn yourself on the stove a teeny tiny bit yeah. of your thumb and then you shower later yes. and you think uh, my whole life is you know right. how, how can i go on 100 percent, it oh hurts my God. You, you know and so this is your whole body and and when you get to third degree burns that's you know all the way down to the you know that's basically your whole skin yes. so the epidermis is gone and so they're starting starting from scratch so instead of like keeping somebody awake while they do surgery after surgery um it's just one long 
continuous thing and they they have to monitor to make sure your your internal organs are okay from smoke damage or fire damage you know all these different things oh wow um infections all sorts of stuff because again just saving anybody that's in the hospital we, we've seen with with you know the last few years it's like if you are have at health risk problems anyway and then you catch pneumonia like that could have ended it, my life an yes. infection could have ended my life you could life. have cancer but then you get pneumonia while you have cancer yeah. cancer doesn't end up killing you right it's, it's so so you know it's they, they try to you know monitor that as best they can and while i was under for those few months i think i probably had 50 or 60 surgeries five zero six zero hmm? 50 or 60 surgeries yeah easily because it was basically like every other day you're either getting skin grafts they're cleaning the dead skin from one area to lay new skin um you know redoing certain certain scar bands Mm. all sorts of stuff so by the time i got out of the coma the only thing that was left to do was my feet and my my legs they had to regraft because again even with grafted skin especially on such a large area it takes only a certain amount it's not like it's a hundred percent i replaced the skin it healed it's perfect some does some doesn't just like anything else you know our body rejects it a little bit totally and also it's it uh, this is gonna sound maybe like a dumb question are they using what skin are they using to replace so so that is what actually sped up my process in the hospital is there was this new technology that came out um, where they were able to grow in a lab up in Boston this like synthetically grown skin called CEAs, and it, okay. that covers like my arms and my legs. So, so it, what we're seeing now was grown in a for lab, you, basically. For that is absolutely <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. So my hands, my face, like all of that stuff would be regular skin grafts taking from a piece but again when you're dealing with 90 percent, there's only so much you could take so if they had to you know just be taking pieces from my stomach or my back and placing it on on my body i would be there for what they thought which would have been nine to 12 months 18 months but with this new technology that came out they were able to do my arms and my legs i was out of there in five and a half months so you're talking you know i'm in there at the end of december beginning of january and i'm out by early may as an eighth grader mm-hmm. as an eighth grader the most <laughs> crucial developmental time <laughs> yeah. in your whole life and the fact that you had the wherewithal to say oh well i woke up mm-hmm. oh i have feeling in my legs when you let take us to the first memory that you have in the hospital <sighs> I mean, so early on, I know for me, a lot of it is a blur. Like, you're on such heavy pain medication and everything else that, like, I do benefit from the fact now that these things are more distant memories than something that I have to relive or Mm re-experience. Because I think for a lot of people, that would be some of the most traumatic part of it all but you're you're on such heavy heavy medication when they take you off it it's like you forget all of those memories yeah but I, I i talk about it so much that i can still remember what it felt like to stand for the first time you know on and and how painful it was with the scars on my feet but how cool it was to be taller than my dad for the first time in my life because i you cause, had grown because i actually <laughs> grew in this coma so it was like i grew i grew like two inches so like i 
You I finally st- beat dad. Yeah, I finally was taller than dad, so it was like super painful. But Which, then I'm by the way, what are you six four? You're yeah, like six three. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, a, you're a tall dude. Yeah. You're a tall dude. Okay. <laughs> so this was uh, like ju- I finally reached six foot, so I was like I could finally see a little bit taller than him, <laughs> and I was and I was in pain, but it was just like oh man, I grew it. So that that again, it like softens. You always try to find the silver linings in the hospital. I mean, at the let end me of tell the day, you something, Connor. People are not always trying to fit. People want to be the person to always find silver linings. Yeah. Not everyone has the willpower to to do That's that. Fair. You you did something really special. That's you did fair. something really special. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, you're you're in eighth grade, and you you of course are trying to figure out. Oh, I like girls. I like all these things. What when you began your rehabilitation? By the way, there's going to be some ambient noise happening and we're <laughs> going to just deal with it. What were your, what was it like beginning to integrate back into your life or, or some semblance of your life? So I think like the biggest driving factor for me getting out of the hospital was to just get back to some sort of resemblance of the life I knew. It's weird because I think at that age, nobody wants to be in school. Everybody's like rebellious and, and you're a teenager, you know, just getting to that teenage years anyway. So you're already rebelling. But yeah. all I wanted to do was be back, like with my friends at school, living a normal life. Because at 13, 14, you don't want to, nobody wants to be in the hospital, period. No. But it's like, at, at, you feel like you're missing the whole world, even though everybody's just you know, in class or, or yeah. you're missing some games or whatever it may be. But um, I, I just wanted to be there so bad. And I had such a great support system and community that was always sending me letters, sending me things, uh, coming and visiting. Because uh, even at Augusta, we were only like two hours away from yeah. from home. So I would have people come and visit me when they were allowed to. And it just, you know, was what fueled me to get back. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be out of that bed. I wanted to start doing some things on my own. But I knew in order to get there, I had to kind of change where the trajectory was going to go. I couldn't have people pushing me around in a wheelchair and taking care of me. I, I You know, I had to be able to, you know, button my shoes, then... walk, tie my shoes, like uh, get dressed. You know, like all those things. This, that, like zip your pants. Yeah, on, on every, the everything that, that I could uh, do to try to be as an independent as possible and, and um, again, that's like what fueled me to keep going because you, you just wanted it so bad. You felt like you didn't have any other choice. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think part that's of the thing. It's when all choices are taken away from you, how are you going to act? Right. How, how are you going to act? Yeah. It's like if I just stayed there in the hospital bed and didn't try to get better, I was never going to get better. It wasn't like I could just wake up and I'd be healed. It wasn't. And it wasn't like, oh, well, after X amount of recovery, I will I'll be the same or yeah. I'll be able to live my life. It's like it's not just that you went through something. It's that you you carry the scar with you every day for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And it is your new it's your new everything. Right. And it's not like, oh, yeah, I think about it sometimes. Oh, I don't think about it sometimes. It's it's omnipresent. Mm-hmm. What was high school like? <laughs> so high school. I have I think- to ask because high school is a it's an experience for everyone. <laughs> and I wonder what. First of all, how did you arm yourself against? Uh, look, and this is not something you even have to discuss. And it might not be something you ever even dealt with. But 
I was bullied in high school and middle school. People were horrific. And then what was it? Did you deal with any douchebags? <laughs> Or were you just like this awesome Labrador retriever guy who people are like, what was? I think I, I think I, I wore it on my sleeve that I was a Labrador retriever. I think I had a lot of I had a lot of friends and again a great support system around me. I benefited from having a mom who was teaching at the high school, an older brother uh. who was at the high school for two years, and then a younger brother that was just a year below me. So I always had family. I always had friends around me. Oh, so good. But I think, you know, for me, what was the hardest part was with anybody when you're trying to get into relationships or you're trying to meet people or whatever it is, it's like you're trying to figure out why they like you and what's the reasons. And it was so easy for me when I was trying to, you know, find a relationship with a girl and yeah. I liked her and she didn't like me back. It was instantly like, oh, it's because it's the way that I look. Sure. And it's like, that's not fair to just put on somebody it's like yeah i look a little bit different but that's not shouldn't and shouldn't be my defining characteristic or anybody's defining it's characteristic. not a character trait you yeah. know it's yeah. like we're always going to grow and change and look different as time goes on and it's like what what should matter is who we are inside and, and the way we treat people and the way we act and like yeah it's tough to think about that at 15 and 16 years old and like we're all we're already so hyper judgmental on our appearance yes. and everything else it's yes. like it the body so, image is the dysmorphia is just yeah. so wild during that time. So, so it was such an easy like fallback for me, and I think you know that was such a, a difficult time. And it took having a relationship with, you know, one specific girl into my late in my junior year and through senior year of of high school that like really opened my eyes because it was somebody who I met through this program called You Lead, which was just like. They took kids from each of the high schools, and once a month we met up, and they would take us around the community and show us different job opportunities and all mm. these different things. And I had uh, no already looking at leadership opportunities <laughs> when you're 14, 15. Get out of here, Connor. You're making us all look this bad. Is junior, this is junior year of high school. So <laughs> okay, 17. fair enough. Uh, fair enough. Okay. These, are, these are to put on your college resume. To try, okay, you know, I was okay, trying, okay. To get, trying to pad my stats. <laughs> But it's like you meet the, you know, I met this girl who didn't go to my high school, had no idea who I was before the accident or anything else like that. And, and we ended up having a really serious relationship. And it took like that, which was somebody that I, you know, didn't know me before. Because anybody I had ever dealt with or anybody that I dated or all my friends, it was like these were all people that I knew me before the accident. Yes. These were all people that had been there my whole life. So it wasn't like I was. You know, it's like this was who they're dealing with now, but it yeah. was always still Connor. It's like this is somebody that only knew me as who I am now. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that to me showed so much more than than. It, and it, sometimes it takes that, you know, sometimes yeah. it takes somebody else like showing you the side of you that you didn't even know you had or that you because, mm. again, it's I, I'm always a little good. At, we're all critical of ourselves at times, you know, but what yeah. I've learned is. And what I try to preach is, like, why are we critical of ourselves? Are we going through something? Are we healing? Are we changing? Like, what is it that at the root of the problem is what we're, you know, what's causing those pro issues? And sometimes it takes a helping hand. Sometimes it takes a new relationship. Sometimes it takes a familiar face. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter. But, um, again, for me, that really changed the way I looked at myself. I bet. And, and in it, what In what specific ways? Like, what – how did you carry yourself differently? How did you – after that relationship, you're like, I can clearly kill it in a relationship. <laughs> and it, like, I bring value and this is fun. How did you approach girls 
after that serious relationship <laughs> ended. Uh, <laughs> we I st- all need advice here. <laughs> Nobody's taking relationship advice from I, me. Trust me. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still like, I'm definitely shy. I think it's important, you know, like I, I have to meet and, and have a like reach somebody on like a conversational level, like a, a personal level like that. It's, it's, you know, I'm never going to be the guy that approaches somebody at a bar or like meets somebody at a bar because it's like look like i'm gonna stand out for different reasons it's not it's not it's not i don't need to go stand on a table and get attention yeah yeah yeah. so it's like you know i've always i've always i just for me i think i needed the validation that like people saw me for more than what my scars were And, and again we talk about you know or we talked about earlier it's like this is something i see every single day am i defined by my scars i don't believe so i'm defined by the actions i took and those things are a reminder of those actions I took. And so I look at it as a positive thing. You know, when I stare in the mirror, like more often than not, like I'm happy with what I see. And if I'm not, it's like, then I have that conversation with myself and it's like, what do we need to do? You know, what, what is it that, but if it's a, if it's like a weight related thing, if it's an appearance related thing, it's like, those are things that like, that's going to come and Those will change over time. Any, so it's like I can't yeah. rest my head on that stuff. It's like, am I strong mentally? Am I strong physically? Am I strong? Do I have people around me that love me and care about me? It's like if I check those boxes, then, then nothing that's all else that matters. matters. Yeah. It's true. I was talking to someone last night, and and saying my values out loud felt so freeing because especially being in the fitness industry, being in nutrition, it's like all we think, not all we think about, but a big part of it is aesthetics Mm -hmm. and, Oh, we're working out to look a certain way or to feel a certain way or to get validation from, from external adrenaline, whatever it is. And saying it out loud, my, my person, my mental and physical health is my number one, then it's relationships. And then it's my career. Mm -hmm. And I would be willing to wager that a lot of people have similar values. You'd clearly do. You are healthy from the inside out. You have incredible parents and family. And even before we got here, you were like, yeah, I was just with, you know, the president of my university, just like (laughs) shooting the shit. No big deal. (laughs) People want to be around you and you just elevate. And that leads me into you. You mentioned something internal and external scars and you touched on it a little bit just now. Mm -hmm. What would you describe as your internal scars aside from aside from uh, un- adjusting what you're seeing in the mirror to be a, this new new face but other than that what what are you thinking internally yeah I think I think for me there was a, a long period of time where with a lot of people when we're when we're dealing with like my internal scar was the the what if this never happened to me mm. And I think for a long time, that was like a battle. You are trying to convince yourself that, you know, things are happening for a reason. And, you could and, live in that what if. Yeah, but it's still like, you know, I was at the time, like I was a, a really highly rated lacrosse player and football player and, you know, where that could have led me. But it's like, what could I, what could I focus on that was more so all right, look, this is where I am. And instead of living in that what if or what could have happened, it's like let's just make the most of where we are today and then focus on tomorrow. One and, day at a time. And, and, yeah, just build on that. And if we are, you know, just trying to be our best versions each and every day, what we end up doing is way further than what we could have ever been. And and 
I think for me it was the perspective that I gained from that instance, and it was and and being pushed to the absolute brink, and and seeing you know how low things can be, and knowing like we're probably never going to reach that point again. I hope to God I never <laughs> reach that point again. But if I do, I know I know that I could climb out of it, and I and I know that other people can climb out of it because I've seen other people be in way worse situations than me, and, and climb to you know higher peaks, and so. Crazy. I mean, I think for me, it's still that little bit of insecurity of, of, you know, are people, you know, do they like me because of who I am? Is it, Mm -hmm. is it the scars? Is it, is it my story? Like all those things you, you, you just, everybody bounces. Walking around thinking, oh, well, if that person only got to know the real me, they would never like, they would see me in this different way. Or don't you wish that you could, I think we all feel this way. We wish we could walk around with a billboard over our head, <laughs> listing our actual character yeah. traits of what we value in ourselves, what people see in yeah. us. Like that would be phenomenal. Like, oh, they're really nice to their parents, or oh, they are really motivated, or whatever it is. Yeah. But that's just not the case. And I think that that's a big, <clears throat> a big lesson that a lot of the listeners are going through right now, going into their thirties. Not not that they're in their thirties, but always but if maybe they are but I think a big a big part of this juncture in our life is realizing that nobody gives a shit as much as we do I know <laughs> literally I know. nobody does <laughs> nobody does and I know that that sounds it sounds bad it sounds like oh nobody cares they do but people are always more concerned about themselves yes. y- you know you're in the gym and I'm they're like I think that the weights that I'm lifting are really good for me. But then I see a couple people next to me and I'm like, oh, they must think that I'm, you know, baby food over here. <laughs> and no, they don't care. They're thinking this exact same thing. No. And we are all so up in our own heads. I know. We just live here all the time. So we've talked about external scars. And then I want to talk about hottest person in the room. <laughs> Because I was like, hotter than health, hottest person in the room, yeah. we must talk. Tell me about the hottest person in the room. So that's something that, like, I I incorporate in all my speeches and everything that I do. Because, like, my, when people ask, you know, what is what is your goal? Like, what what, do you, what are you trying to get across with your message? And, and I think there's a couple things that we hit on. But more, like, my go-to is, is when I say the hottest, being the hottest person in the room is somebody that – is comfortable in their own skin, owns their their you know mistakes, but also owns you know what makes them the hottest person in the room. And truly, I think what is it? What what do you what would you consider? Because when I speak to you, if I were if I didn't know you, I met you off the street, and I said, "Hey, throw on this headset, let's chat." I would think big dick energy, good <laughs> g- charisma to boot, and funny. I, like all of these things clearly carries yourself well, well-spoken communicates, I mean, a catch. So what, what do you consider to be the hottest person in the room? I, I yeah, I think, so again, for me, it's going to be unique to, to the person. Sure. There's no doubt about it. To me, like I coined that, I started using that phrase when it was, I, anywhere I went, I, I would feel these like eyes on me. And I would see people staring at me and I would, you know, it's so easy to, to think, oh, it's because of my scars or, oh, because I look different or whatever. And then I just. You're also I like 6'3 star- athlete. Yeah, you know? right. You know, so I'm <laughs> like, like a big dude anyway. So it's like, why? Right. And so it's like, why think about all those things when it's like they could be staring at me because I'm the hottest dude in the room. And it, and, and that's, and that's yeah, where, it, that's where it came from. It was like. 
It was yeah, like, I'm stop hot. thinking that everybody's looking at, at you because of there's something wrong with you, but it, it might be because of all the right things in your life. Yes. And, and when you start telling yourself these little things, it, that's what bounces off the mirror. You know, if I'm telling myself in the mirror, like, oh, you're nothing, oh, you're this, oh, you're that, and I'm negative, that's what I see. Mm-hmm. But if mm-hmm. you stare in that mirror and you can see the positives, you can see that that hotness that's coming out, then that's what exudes, that's what people see. And so then it is, it's like, if I see somebody who's staring at me, it's usually like I give them a smile back and I'm like, yeah, I, I see me too. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's right. And, and like your smile, I feel like would get people pretty Yeah, pretty quick. and then it, it also just like sets people at ease too because when you, you know, even in my position, it's like if I walked with my shoulders slumped and my head down and like felt that insecurity blanket around me, everybody would feel that. And everybody's stares would be like, you know, dodgy. You see it with girls all the time, girls that walk in and maybe they're hunched or maybe they have their like legs crossed while they're standing or they're fidgeting with their fingers or they're playing with their phone. And there are certain movements and, and there's body language that represents lack of confidence Mm -hmm. and lack of strength and I don't deserve a seat at this table and and there but you 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 really you don't even skate the line but you do it in such a humble way that isn't arrogant it's not cocky because there's there's a lot of people that could use this situation and just be a funny asshole Mm -hmm. which you know is funny sometimes but when that's your thing and you can tell it's coming from a place of less confidence it's not great Right. It's not great. You can poke fun. You know, it's a good, all fun and games, but uh, until that becomes what you're known for. Mm-hmm. I even said uh, w- the most attractive thing physically that I see in a person, male, female, whoever, is good posture. It's There is something about the central nervous <laughs> system aligning that just looks good. I'm like, you care. You <laughs> care. You just care. I love that. The hottest person in the room. I have I have a, a total pivot question. Do you do you have any type of PTSD from that event, whether it is hospitals or falling asleep at night and thinking maybe I'll wake up in four months? Those types of things, fire. I, I, I mean that in a no. What are those What are those moments and triggers, for, if any? I think every everything took some time. I know, like, going back to the hospital was always very difficult for me early on. But as I still had so many procedures that I had to get done after I got out. Even you know? 10 years later. Yeah, even 10 years later, I'm still – there's still things that have to get done. So it's like you, you get used to that. It's a place – of you know these people are you know i i have to be if it's with a completely different group or new people like i've been fortunate to be able to have a lot of the same doctors this Mm. entire time or people that i've been trusted with or or have been recommended to me so it's like you you feel that family and and um same with fire like it was again i didn't want to i'm still to this day like starting the grill stuff like that small things it's like you just are a little extra cautious of yeah um, but it's, uh, again, I try to own those things and make it part of me. Cause 
it's something that could have taken so much away from me, but it gave me so much more. So, like, me and Fire are, are more bonded together than we are afraid of You were literally built from flames. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's your next book. Yeah. <laughs> TM. There you go. I like it. <laughs> but w- even – so, David Goggins. Mm-hmm. Heard of him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you have it, just – come on, guys. Uh David Goggins, again, he is this relentless powerhouse that confronts fears. You did something. Shut up, computer. You did something. You just mentioned something. You said the hospital used to be a tough place to be. And I can imagine that for so many people. When (laughs) and then you decided to take an internship at a children's (laughs) hospital, the most powerful move you could ever have because you're showing up with these kids who are struggling every day smiling saying hey yeah life you can you're you're gonna live your life you Mm -hmm. you are gonna live your life and things are gonna be fine it's you really did grab that entire situation by the balls and you you ran with it you completely completely confronted that fear what is another time in your life when you went headfirst into the fear whether it's con- chatting with a girl or, <laughs> or you know, some crazy work opportunity or what was it? Uh, so I would say so not where I go head first into is be what I do now being a, a motivational speaker. I, I enjoy speaking. It's a passion of mine. But it is also, you know, the number one biggest fear on the planet is public speaking and and I still get that rush of butterflies in my stomach every time I'm out on stage you get that little bit of anxiety like do these people even give a shit about what I'm saying is it going to impact is it going to matter um and and you have all those thoughts racing through your head before you go out and you and you do do what you are you know believe again I believe what I'm supposed to be doing and it's not until you're done and even if there's a few people clapping, but it's usually like when somebody comes up after the thing is done and they're just like, Hey, I really appreciated your message. And I was like, that's exactly why we do it. I don't go and speak in front of thousands of people to change thousands of lives. I go and speak in front of thousands of people to hopefully impact one or two or three lives because those are the people that if I wasn't doing what I was doing, they would have never heard that message and it would have never made a difference. And and so many people in this spectrum think about like, Oh, I'm going to change everybody's life. I'm going to change millions of lives. It's like, you probably will, but it's going to start by going one at a time and one at a time, one at a time. And, 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 so I, I have to remind myself when I'm up on that stage, and, and, and again, you're facing that little bit of anxiety, that little bit of fear. It's like, but listen, so- somebody in here needs mm-hmm. to hear this, and, mm-hmm. and, and there's no doubt about it. And, and when, you, when you finally are through and you give that presentation and you have that, that validation, it's like that, you know, I had to fight that little battle, but they had to fight that little battle just to come up and talk to me. You know, they had to fight that little battle to show up and be in, be in the room. So if everybody else can fight their little battles that are going on to be there and, and watch me, then why can't I fight this battle of just being up on stage? Am I afraid of speaking? No, it's just, you know, it, you get but that. But you care. Yeah, so you I care. To, you care. So, so, it's, so it's like I have that same feeling that I get when I would step out on a lacrosse field or coaching, you know, where you you get those that nervous energy of, of – all right, did I put in the preparation to go out and perform? And then once you're there, it, you, you know, it, the rest, it all falls into place. But uh, that, that's, I, that's the battle. 
I want to talk to you after we record about <laughs> <Okay>. some <laughs> potential opportunities. <laughs> but one thing that it's very clear, you have made it about others, which has allowed you the freedom to go out and just let it rip when you speak because it isn't about you. Mm-hmm. It is, but it's for yeah. It, it's it is so the fear and the self-esteem issues and the lack of motivation and the confidence it's so within us and easy to tap into and having people like you to motivate them out of it. Now, before we wrap, what Tell us about tell us about the book. When when can we expect to have it out? What are your projects happening, and and what are you what are you most excited for right now? Because it's summertime, like yeah. the, the, <laughs> the sun is shining. Think people are feeling good. What's what's going on with Connor? So the the book came out May twenty third, and it'll be on. It's like on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. Um, we have hardcover, paperback, ebook whatever i'm I'm in the process of doing the audiobook it's nice. taking a little bit longer like recording and doing all of that and the, and uh getting it all approved but that's like the final final piece for me but it'll be like a- anywhere that you could find a book pretty much but I, most everybody has amazon i think you can just much. go on amazon you can either type in connor mckemmy or you can type in life ignited which is the the name of the book Life and ignited, Connor McKinnon. Yeah, and, and can we can we do a little giveaway? Of course. Can we do a little of giveaway? Of course, we can do a giveaway. Give away a couple books. Okay. Oh yeah. For anyone listening, comment on the most recent Instagram post with Connor and myself. Just this Instagram post on Hotter Than Health podcast, and we will send you a copy of yeah. of the Life Ignited. Maybe a signed copy. Oh, it'll be signed. Put we'll some lipstick on. Kiss it, it baby. Huh? <laughs> Put some lipstick on. Yeah. Kiss the book. <laughs> You got to do a select few and charge extra for that. <laughs> That's really what we got to do. Uh, also, are you dating anyone? I'm not. I'm not dating anyone uh, currently. I will say I've been. It is so cliche to say, but it was like I like drowned myself in this work mm-hmm, for the last mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really six months to a year with as we were getting closer and closer to the finish line, and it was just like, you know, I. I I have had some great relationships in the past, but at any time for me, it, I feel like things, um, I, I never want anything to be toxic. I'm so like not a confrontational type person that it's like, if I feel like things are kind of going down that road, it's like, look, like if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. I don't have hard feelings. You don't you have hard feelings. You got some commitment feelings. issues. Huh? You got some commitment I, issues. I don't have okay. <laughs> He's like, she got a little crazy, so <laughs> had to get out. No, no, no. Okay. Well, for someone who is out there who is dealing with body image issues, confidence issues in any respect, what is one piece of advice you could leave them with? I'd say focus on the controllables. It's something that I, I try to preach as much as possible, but it's those are, you know, all the things in your life that you have you have the power over, you know, whether it's the way that we talk to ourselves, um, you know, internally is it's you know, what is our routine and is that beneficial for us or is it detrimental for us? You know, it's like, it's like when I think of the controllables, it's the way that I eat, 
am I active? Who who do I surround myself with? Right? It's like so many times our energy is reflective of the people around us. So it's like, are you surrounding yourselves with positive in influences or people that are, are lifting you up or, or adding that benefit to your life? Are you adding are you surrounded by people that, you know, are taking little bits and pieces and you, you don't need those people in your life. Yeah. And uh, you know, again, for me it's like I know that when I focus on the things that I can control, the little the little victories each and every day and I set these goals, like that's how I maintain them. It's it's not being upset because I didn't reach a certain goal or I didn't reach a certain milestone at a certain time point. It's like, all right, let's put these things out there. I want to, you know, lose 10 pounds or I want to be able to lift this amount of weight or I want to, you know, get this job or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And it's like we just start what can I do today to get a little bit closer to that? Yeah. And, and that's what I can focus on. Because at the end of the day, you know, with it, whether it's jobs, whether it's relationships, career, doesn't matter. Like, there are so many different aspects of that that you can't control. How people see you, who's choosing you, you know, all those different things. But if you're focusing on trying to be the best version of yourself mentally, physically, mm -hmm. if, you're, if, you're, if you're focused on those things in your life that you have control over, then the rest of the stuff usually takes care of itself in the end. Because at the end of the day, like, it, it, it's all going to lead mm -hmm. you to the path. And, and again, I, I, that's what I, I, I rest my hat on it because it's, it's what I've seen. You yeah. Know, it's what I've seen. It's true. I can imagine it's, I can imagine that there are probably a lot of people that you've had to escort out of your life gently because being someone like you who is really positive, it's, you aren't someone that's draining people. It, I would assume that's been my experience. You aren't a drainer. You're more of a giver. And I think that there are going to be a lot of people in this world who by all means mean well, but that aren't aren't adding to your life in any mm -hmm. way. And I can imagine that's probably been a tough lesson to learn. Like who should I, who do, who's not, not against me, but who's draining me yeah. and your time is too precious and too valuable. And you have too big of a purpose to let that really sink you down. So I can imagine that will, I think that should be your next book. <laughs> like how to get rid of the, the crazies. <laughs> well, Connor McKinney, I am so happy that we got to spend time together and have you on the podcast we'll have to have you on again or do something but thank you for your time and i'm so excited for everything you have going on oh thank you so much it's been a pleasure and i'd love to be back yay awesome we'll talk to you soon yes thank you for listening to this week's episode of hotter than health that was Connor McKimmy. I'm Eliza Gelman. And make sure you have subscribed anywhere you listen to podcasts. That's Spotify, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, or Overcast, anywhere that you love to listen to your podcasts. It means the world. And that is how we make sure this show continues to grow. We will have more guests for you next week. We've got more in store. And ensure that you are on the list to get a copy of Life Ignited by Connor McKimmy. He is absolutely incredible. His first book, you do not want to sleep on this. Make sure you go to Hotter Than Health Podcast on Instagram. Let us know your favorite part of this episode and we will send you a copy. And we will talk to you next Thursday. Thank you.
Thank you.